my mom was the first child of, that, of my grandmother born in Canada. Um, but what I found out just a couple years ago, post, my grandmother came over post-war to Canada. What I found out just a couple years ago is that her mother was from Lock, Brooklyn, of all places. So Ulster Scott's right here. Um, so yeah, my, my, nation, my blood and my spiritual heritage is, is firmly on this island. Probably before that they were back in Scotland, who knows. It was all a mess back then, wasn't it? Um, click on the next slide. So today's love is greater than knowledge is the theme, but I want to tell you a story about Canada, about my, my Canadian heritage. So this is any street Canada. I couldn't find a picture of my street. Uh, and I want to tell you a story that hopefully sits in your head to, to sit this passage on today. So I grew up uh, in a small area, uh, actually a big subdivision, we would have called it, a big development around a school. And, and when I was about seven or eight, I was walking to school on my own. And now when I thought about telling you that, I thought, don't judge my parents. Every kid did that back then. <laughs> I, I lived about 500 meters from my school and I walked to school every day, sometimes with my friends, sometimes alone, almost always late. Um, but this one particular day, I was on a street like this, walking to school, at about seven or eight years old, and I remember, I don't remember much from my childhood, but I remember this distinctly. I was walking to school, and there was these few older kids ahead of me uh, that looked so cool to me. I mean, they were walking, they were, you know, you think like the movies, they were probably like swishing their hair or whatever, <laughs> walking to school, talking to each other, not paying attention, anything. It's funny what the brain remembers, but I totally remember them just walking around laughing dead and then just stepping out into the street and walking across as if they were the coolest kids in the world. This is what you think when you're seven or eight. And I, what latched onto my brain was, that is so cool. They just walked across the street without even looking. <laughs> And I want to, this is literally, and I want to be like that. So literally, I then walked down the street myself, had to cross this road, and purposefully did not look at the street. So I was like, oh, look at that cool bird there. Oh, yeah, that person's house. Oh, yeah. And then I just stepped out onto the street about two steps, and what happened? <laughs> this massive car in my face. I'm on the ground. My heart's pounding, and worse than all that, the door opens, and my friend Kevin's mother gets out. Paul Coles, what are you doing? I could have killed you. I saw you didn't even look, and you stepped out of that street. Get to school, and I'm going to go tell your mother right now. So I know now that those totally cool kids, which they were. They were probably 13, so they were like super cool. I know now that they just had more experience, had more awareness than me. So naturally, they were walking down the street, and as they were talking, they were probably listening, or you just, you do it naturally to traffic or lack of traffic. They were probably glancing around at traffic or lack of traffic and talking, and all this just happens. And then they probably took a quick glance that I didn't see and noticed the coast was clear and just walked across the street. And that was perfectly okay for them. That was perfectly right for them. It was perfectly safe for them. But for me, seven or eight years old, only wanting to be cool, with my less awareness, with my lack of experience, and with my lack of knowledge, it was potentially 
deadly for me. And how this has affected my life is now I'm obsessed with how you, people perceive you crossing the road. And I thought today, you know, you come to Balnehinch, the crosswalk, and the little red man is still there. And there's not a car for a mile either way. And there's that parent with the little kid on the other side. And you're in a hurry, but you, I, stupid red man. You know, you can't go until the green man is there. Because it's okay for me. I know. I have awareness. I have knowledge. But for that kid and for my kids, it could be deadly. So what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> could some of the things in your life that are genuinely perfectly okay for you are good, you've thought them through, are great, are fine, could they potentially be stumbling blocks or challenges or even deadly for younger or weaker people around you. That's what I would love us to sit in our heads as we look at this chapter. So it's going to pop up here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And thankfully, we have a lot shorter chapter than Allie had last week, um, although that was great. Um, but let's stand up. So we've been sitting for a while. Stand up, and I'm going to read this for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for, for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still, are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, nor are we worse if we do not eat it, nor better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brothers or sisters to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Whoa. Take a seat. Learned the lesson from Fiona last week. So here's a question on the back of that, and we, we've sort of asked it already. 
But as we hear this passage, what's the thing, the issue that comes into your mind that you're totally okay with? And you've thought about it. You're right to be totally okay with it for you. But it may be a stumbling block or it may be an issue for younger or weaker or less knowledgeable Christians. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. And the Holy Spirit works like this. What's the thing on your mind that automatically pops in? We're going to dig into this chapter and unpack it a bit because um, each book, each chapter of the Bible is written into a context. And it's really helpful sometimes, often, to understand that context so we can extrapolate it to our context. And this bit of uh, 1 Corinthians is a whole section of Paul's response to the Corinthian church to specific questions they had asked him. So it says in 1 Corinthians, I pop down one more. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1, he's gone through a whole bunch of issues. Now he says, now for the matters that you wrote me about. These are the questions that you asked me about. So chapter 7, as we know, was a lot longer and was about marriage and singleness. And now this question, next slide, is about food sacrifice to idols. And it will really help to grab context because what does that mean? What does that mean to us? But this, this is a, an issue set inside a much larger context. You see, the church all over this region is in the middle of this massive change. It, this, this faith that's come out of Judaism and Judaism that's been in this 2,000, 2000 years of rules, 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 rules that help you relate to God. But now all of a sudden they've come into this new way that's not about rules. It's this new covenant. It's about grace. It's about freedom. It's about love. Because the rules were paid for. The rules were destroyed when Jesus died. You can't earn it. He paid for it. He gave it to you. But they're in the middle of of what this transition means. So the constant question was, without these clear rules, do this in this situation. Nice. Do this in this situation. Do that. How do we do this? How do we relate to God? And as I was thinking about this, that's it's still a question for us today. We like rules. Freedom is actually challenging. And this specific issue of food sacrifice to idols was a really important issue because just a little while before this, we can read in Acts chapter 15, the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem <clears throat> had just written a letter to Antioch and to all the churches. And, and the, the problem was, which we're not going to go into, the problem was, do we now expect these Christians who have just come to faith, which came out of Judaism, that they've just received from Christ, do we also lump on them all the rules of the law? Or how many rules of the law do we have to lump on them? And the consensus was, no, we can't lump on them because that's just putting them baggage on them that we couldn't hold ourselves. Those rules are paid for by Jesus. But they thought there, there are a few principles that would probably still be good to give them. And one of them was abstain from meat or food sacrifice to idols. But that created a problem because there was two contexts that this was going into. So for the Jews in Jerusalem, um, this was a strictly prohibited issue and they wouldn't have touched it. And they, they wouldn't have touched food, sacrifice to idols. I'm going to give you three reasons. There's probably many more. First of all, it, it was unclean in their eyes and it was defiled. And 
for thousands of years, the thing they've been trying to do is be clean and undefiled. So there's no way a Jew in Jerusalem is going to go to something or eat something that's going to make them unclean and, and defiled. Number one. Number two, eating food sacrificed to an idol would be like acknowledging or worshiping or participating in something that's acknowledging and worshiping another God. So for a Jew, there was only one God. There, that would be unheard of. I will not participate in that. So again, this would be unthought of, unheard of for a Jew. And number three, which is maybe the, the context thing the most, is that unlike other parts of the world, in areas where there were more Jews, you would have had to go out of your way probably to get meat sacrificed to idols. Or it would have been very apparent which meat was and which meat wasn't. So you would have probably had to go places where you shouldn't be going and in situations you shouldn't be to get into the situation to eat the meat sacrificed to idols. So are the Jews in Jerusalem right to not eat meat sacrificed to idols? Yes, absolutely, fully. But the problem was there was a really different story for the Gentile Christians in Greece and Asia and a very different story in Corinth. And I want to read to you an excerpt out of Kenneth Bailey's book, which George gave me, um, called Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes that really gives us a great picture of this totally different context than Jerusalem. So he says this, in the ancient city of Corinth, the central market was virtually surrounded by pagan temples. And the great archaic temple almost overshadowed the meat market. The sacrifices were the properties of the priests of the various temples. And what they could not eat, they sold. During the numerous feasts, there, were, there was an inevitable glut in the meat market. And the prices would drop accordingly. For many of the poor of the city which certainly included at least some of the Christians, that was probably the only time they could afford to eat meat. Furthermore, if a person who did not ask the butcher, he or she would not know whether a particular piece of meat had been offered to idols or not. So it's a very different situation in Corinth than in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians made a good argument why it was acceptable for them to eat meat. And I'll give you three things. First of all, as we, hear, as we see here, the reality was, unless they were at a butcher and said, sorry, which ones are sacrificed to idols and which ones not, they would have had no idea. It was all mixed in. They would have no idea what they were eating. Secondly, the justice and the mercy reason we have Christian brothers and sisters who can barely afford to eat. They can never afford to eat meat. Meat is precious protein. Surely during these times of glut, of low prices, we want to encourage them to eat the meat they can. They don't even know which is which. So that's an amazing justice and, and mercy reason. And then thirdly, they actually had a really good theological argument, which Paul talks about in verse 4, if we stick it up there. Paul quotes them saying, an idol is nothing at all. There is no God but one. So eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol is actually just eating food that's been sacrificed to nothing at all. So why not eat it? 
And so Paul says to them, basically, you're right. It's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. But, but your answer and your reasoning is based on knowledge alone. And our calling is to something so much greater than knowledge. Our calling is to make decisions on love. And that's the tricky bit. He says in verse 1, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge, I know this. I've read about it. I've studied it. I've prayed about it. Knowledge puffs me up. Whereas love builds us up. And the constant challenge through this book really is you Corinthians think you're so smart. You think you're so wise. You think you're so uh, much more um, educated than those simple Jews in Jerusalem. And you think you're so much more mature than some of the other Christians around Corinth. And in verse 2, Paul says, but those who, Paul never held punches. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Not everyone has this knowledge that you have, and you do have it. So watch what you do so that weaker Christians aren't betrayed into um, betraying their own conscience, aren't led into betraying their own conscience and going on a downward spiral with that. In verse 11 and 12, Paul says this. So this weaker brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Again, Paul doesn't hold punches. And he says to them several times in this, you're right in how you understand this issue. And it is perfectly okay for some of it, for some of you. But you're actually totally wrong in how you apply it, how you work it out, and how you play it out. And then Paul seems, seems to give a very clear answer of how it all should play out in the next verse here. Verse 13, he says this. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that, they, so that I will not cause them to fall. That's it. That's my decision. I'll never eat meat again. And like sometimes we come to a verse, we're like, okay, case closed. It's totally done. There's our, that's our rule. We want the rule, and that's the rule we're going to follow. And he sets up an amazing principle here. I know this is okay, but because of love, I'm going to honor you guys. And how much more incredible would our communities be? They are, but how much more incredible would they be if we always live by those principles? But that's not a guilt trip because it's actually not that simple. And I'm going to steal some thunder from Lorna in a couple weeks. She's speaking on chapter 10. But in chapter 10, Paul blurs this whole thing again. He says in 10, 27 to 30 this. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal 
and you want to go, good, eat whatever is put before you without raising any questions of conscience. Two, what did you say two chapters before this? <laughs> Let me just flip back through the scroll that you gave me. You just said no, and now you're saying eat whatever, which is going to be meat sacrificed to idols. It's going to be something that I shouldn't... What? But then he goes on to say, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. <laughs> Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. And now Paul is actually not talking about the weaker Christian. Now he's talking about people who aren't Christians, people who don't even have this faith. And their conscience, but maybe even extrapolated to their perception of you and what you believe. So it's perfectly okay sometimes. <laughs> and perfectly not okay other times. And this is the crux and the challenge of the issue for the Corinthians. And this is the challenge of the issue for us. And Paul doesn't give them a simple answer. He doesn't give them knowledge. Paul says that this is not about being right. This is about working it out in relationship. Potentially different every time. Paul said it's not about knowledge. It's about being guided by love. And this is the challenge it's not, okay, these are the set of rules and it's easy. Jesus and then Paul on top of him just raise the bar every time. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But then he goes on to say, by this. So you know how I loved you and I'm going to expect you to do that same? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simples. And as I thought about this, well, hey, that's a massive, massive challenge. But there are some issues in the Bible that are really clear. Some of the things that we say, don't say that. Some of the things maybe maybe want to watch, don't watch that. Don't go there. No, don't do that. Don't drink that much or whatever. There's some things that are so clear because it's so obviously against the road God has for us, against the blessing God has for us, against the life and the abundance and the community he wants to have in us and make in us. There are so many things that are very clear. But there's a whole lot of things that aren't clear at all. And if you stick this up, alcohol in moderation you could argue that a whole bunch of different ways. Some, not all, some of the things we watch, the things we say, the places we go, the stuff we put on, on social media, stuff that's maybe okay for you. And 
Sadly, Paul doesn't clarify the rules around meat sacrifice to idols. So I'm not even going to attempt in the next minute <laughs> to clarify this whole list. And actually, all I want to do in finishing is really leave two questions with us. Um, and I hope to start, well, actually, I hope that con- to continue the conversation. And if it needs to start it in your life, then, then it needs to start it. But I want to leave these two questions for us to think about. As we think about that picture of me walking across the street, as we think about this passage that Paul's laid in our laps, question one is this, and this is maybe the extrapolated question. What is the issue that your conscience is bugging you about? And it's not a matter of if you know it's wrong. You know it's not God's way but you continue to do it anyway. Jesus died to cover that stuff. He died to pay for it. He died to cleanse you from it. And he died to give you the the spirit to be able to run away from it. What are those issues that you know you need to run from? But question, so I I want that to sit with you, but question two is the one, the maybe more complicated one that comes out of this passage. What is the thing that you know, you know, you know is okay for you, but may not be okay, may not be good, and may be a stumbling block for weaker and younger Christians or even unbelievers around you? And the way the Holy Spirit works, I'm sure there's stuff on your minds right now. Jesus said in John 13, again, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Whoa, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. It's a huge thing to just plop on your laps. <laughs> I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond and sing some songs. Father, this is your word and it's your truth. You speak, I pray, and help us to respond Help us to respond in the love that you showed us. I pray that in Jesus' holy and awesome name.